Hey everyone, and welcome to SermonCast, a Cheyenne Hills podcast where you can find just the message portion of our services each week. We hope this gives you the opportunity to better digest the teaching portion of our services, whether listening to them again or hearing them for the first time. And now, here's today's message. Fortify, that's what we're going to talk about today. Jesus um, had an interesting interaction with a mother. His mother came to him. She was probably one of the ladies that traveled with the the group, uh, the disciples, it was James and John's mother. And she came and she said, she fell before him and she says, you know, what, would, what do you request? And he said, I request that one of my sons be on your right and one on your left. And he says, well, are they willing to drink from the cup that I'm drinking of? And they, they said, yes, sir, we will. And he goes, well, to determine whether who sits on my right or my left is not mine to determine. Well, then the, the 10 that were... Somehow they figured out what was going on, and they were indignant, as you can imagine. What are these? They're having their mom? I mean, this is a crazy scene. Seriously? You're having your mom ask Jesus to be on your right and your left? I don't know. It didn't work so well for the guys. It wouldn't work well for me. And Jesus told them the story. He said, you know, the Gentiles lorded over people, and they, those people under them lorded over them. He says, not so with you. If you want to be great in my kingdom, be the servant of all. We're going to talk about this whole idea of fortifying is we're going to fortify some of our processes, some of the things we're doing so that it gives people more opportunities to be the servant of all. If you want to be great in my kingdom, he says, be the servant of all. He said, the son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to give it all away. The very last drop of his life he gave away for you and me. And he says, you want to be great? Be the servant of all. That's greatness in God's kingdom. It's not greatness in our world. That's not how a world works. And he works just the opposite. But we're going to give... This idea, this idea of fortifying is a fortifying some processes, and I'll tell you where the places are fortified and some of the places that are the same. Um, I came back from a conference. This guy spoke. His name was Chris Hodges. And I recognized a lot of the stuff that he was talking about because he stole it from Rick Warren. I knew that because I'd stolen our stuff from Rick Warren. <laughs> I was like, I know where you got that stuff. The 101, 201, 301, so those things that you guys know of, you've heard of, that's, that's, that's Rick Warren put that together in the probably early 90s. A whole bunch of us church planters thought, wow, this is the best process. But what, what Chris Hodges did, he took that and he, he fortified it. He, he changed a few things, changed the order a little bit and fortified it and made it so that when you get to the end of this process, this, this idea of opportunity to become a servant of all is... The, one of the great outcomes. Brought it back, <clears throat> talked to our staff about it. Um, as you can imagine, change is not something that people just long to do. And, um, but I will tell you, now that we've got into it, uh, i got to give kudos also to, to Renee. She's not here, so you can tell her I give her kudos. But she did the deep dive and really 
really found the, the, the workings and how to work this throughout their whole church. And you're going to see this in all kinds of different ways. And I want to make sure to give her uh, credit for really the, the hard work. I can cast a vision, but there's a lot of hard work that had to go into help, helping us all get up to speed. You know, I've, when I came out in church planting, <clears throat> people were doing things like win, grow, go. You know, it's kind of a cliche. And I was like, I'm not really into that kind of cliche stuff. And so when I was hearing Chris Hodges speak, I thought, okay, this is cliche. But then I found that it wasn't cliche because he had this rooted in the Old Testament. Then it was rooted in the New Testament. And I just thought, this is something that we're already doing. We could do better. So some of it you're going to recognize. Some of it you're going to see renamed. And hopefully you'll see it fortified. I'm going to start in the Old Testament. The four I will statements in the Old Testament, these are the four cups of communion during the Seder. When God told Moses, I want you to remember this Passover, the Passover, the Passover meal is called the Seder. I want you to remember this Passover and the four I wills were four cups of communion. Now there's more I wills in this, you're going to see it, but there's four I wills that were the four cups of communion that are talked about in a Seder or a Passover meal in, a, in the Jewish tradition. So, when Chris Hodges was over in Israel and they were talking about this, he thought, wow, this is what we're doing. It just gives some background to it. So I want you to see this for yourselves. Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 through 8 says this, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will, first one, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. It's the first cup there to remember. Second one, I will free you from being slaves to them. That's the second. And the Seder, that's the second cup. That's the cup of, of, uh, of uh, deliverance. The third cup is the cup of redemption. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with a mighty acts of judgment. And finally, I will take you as my own people. I'll continue to read the rest of the passage here. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you into the land that I swore to uplift with uplifted hand to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That was the intention, to get them back to the land that he had, he had intended for them. And then finally he says, I will give you as a possession I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. So he's going to bring them back to the land that he intended to, to give. And so this is where the Seder or the Passover is embedded. You can even Google this, not now, later. Um, and uh, go to, you know, just Jewish tradition. And they, this is the four I wills that are part of their tradition that they, they know so well. Exodus chapter 6 is that Passover meal. Now, I want to walk through each one of these because I think it's fascinating to see, and I had I'd read this before, I'd never seen these four cups of communion identified as in this way. The first one, I will bring you out. It's the cup of sanctification. It's the cup of being set apart. You can say they're being saved from the Egyptians, not saved in a way that you, we, you and I talk about salvation, but still saved nevertheless. God will bring them out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. The second one, I will free you from being slaves. Now, if you look at those two, you're going to see, well, that sounds like the same thing. I will bring you out. I will free you from being slaves. We would think he's just being redundant. I got to give uh, Pastor Chris 
credit on this one. I think it's one of the cool observations. I wish it was mine, but I'm going to give him credit for this one. And he said, basically, what God is saying to the Egyptians, I'm going to take you out of Egypt. And then I'm going to take Egypt out of you. That's the difference in those two statements. I'm going to take you out, and then I'm going to, I will free you from being slaves. They were still slaves in their heart. They still had all that old Egypt stuff in them. Their gods, those other gods, or the way that the Egyptians, it was, there was ground into their pores, and God was going to, he was going to bring that out of them. Two major different things, and I, I, you'll see it as we continue on, but I, I want you to just note that. And I think God does the same thing with us. In salvation, he, he saves us from this body of death, right? But, but that's not enough. We need to go on and get this world out of us. That's what this fruit of the Spirit is to, to re, replace all the, the old stuff that's a part of us and put it, the Holy Spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all that good stuff. That's getting the world out of us. So it's the same process. And we're seeing it way back in the Old Testament. So the cup of salvation, the cup of deliverance, and the cup of redemption. Now the, I will redeem you. Now this is a, an interesting one. Because what he's talking about, I'm going to take you off of the course that you're on, being in, living in Egypt. And I'm going to put you back on the path that I intended with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm going to redeem you. Now when Jesus redeems us, he buys us back. He purchases our life with his own blood, right? That's the New Testament version. This is the Old Testament version. So the Old Testament is basically saying, I'm going to read it. I'm going to, I'm going to put you back on a path that you were, you were set for, where this was your purpose to live in this land. And I'm going to bring you back to this land. Hang on to that thought. We'll come back to it. That's the cup of redemption. Put you back into your original intent. And finally, make you a people. Again, I'm going to give Chris Hodge. This is one of those fortifying things. I, he really makes a big point of how God does things through people, not individuals. Now, he uses individuals, but he does things through people. I will make you a people. I will make you a church. I will make you a group. He desires to do things through us in groups. Do it together. Do this whole church thing as an individual. It, that's not his intent. His desire is that we serve and we grow and we learn and we do this together. That's his design. I will make you a people for my own glory, right? And when we work together as churches, as a local body, or as a, as a collective uh, church, uh, you know, under one big C church, when we do those kinds of things, there is a collectiveness about that that's it's God's design. He didn't design this to have individuals. So today we are big on the individual. We have, there's rock star, rock star pastors and preachers and rock star people. And say, you got to be careful with that. That's not his design. His design, we're the priesthood of the believer. There is, listen, when you see a rock star preacher, and I'm not one of those. When you see a rock star preacher, it's like, <clears throat> and even Billy Graham, he has, he has no more authority than you and I have. He may have more education, may more whatever, but, but a, a different gifting, no question about that. As far as our position before Christ as the priesthood of the believer, we are on, on level ground. With, and, and we have the same word of God that we can check these things with. So 
He desires to do things as a group. Does he give different gifts? Yes. And we're going to talk about that. It's really part, a big part of this fortifying uh, process that we're going through. So there's some Old Testament background. Now, so Chris Hodges basically had this idea already from the New Testament. I'm going to share the New Testament thing with you. But I wanted to start with the Old Testament, just kind of go in, in order. But he had this idea, and he was organizing his church around um, this New Testament version that I'm getting ready to share with you. But then when he came to Israel and he found those four cups of communion and lining up perfectly with what he had already been seeing that he stole from Rick Warren and I did too. So, But anyway, <clears throat> and line those things up, it's like, wow, this is, it really fortified his mind to say, this is God's plan for people. Let's get them out of Egypt. Let's get Egypt out of them. Let's make sure to get them on the right path and let's make them effective as a people. That's God's plan. Do you see it? Deliverance. Salvation, get you out of Egypt. Deliverance, get Egypt out of you. Redemption, get you back on the path that God put you on. And finally, do it together as a group of people so that God gets the glory. Does that make sense? So that's the plan. So as I saw this, and I'm sorry, I'm gonna, we're going to hit it again. So the redundancy. Today is basically the overview, so you can get the big picture. The next few weeks, we're going to hit each one of these, so you'll have a better understanding, hopefully. The New Testament version is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 through 19. So I'll kind of walk through this one so you can see it as well. <clears throat> Let me read through it first, and then I'll come back and walk through. This is the New Testament version. I think this is where Chris Hodges first got his ideas from. It's from this passage, the way I understand it. He says, I keep asking that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened in order that you may know the hope which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and in his holy people and his incomparable great power, I say, incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength. So this, let me go through and find these uh, correlations that started off here in his, in his mind's eye in the, in the New Testament, and he found the fortification in the Old Testament. Let's let me unpack this real quick. The first one is found in verse 18. <clears throat> I pray that the eyes, I'm sorry, it's found in verse 17. So that you may know him better. To know God that word is gnosko. I'm going to talk about this in just a second. Don't, don't go to that word just yet. I'm going to go to it. So this is to know God. To know God is to know him personally. That's salvation. It's the same kind of set apart knowing God. The next one, that the pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Listen, every time we go through our hurts, habits, hangups, we have a hunk of scripture. Just the other day, I was with a group of guys, and we were going through a, 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 a scripture, and everybody was looking at it through their lens. Natural. It's good. It's, it's important. We've got to make sure that our lens doesn't, um, you know supersede the fact that, okay, so you don't want to get circumstances in front of God's word. You got to make sure your circumstances are in light of God's word, because you might look at your circumstances and say, conclude that God is not good. Well, you need to know God is good, and you still have hard circumstances. But that doesn't mean God is not good. So those are the things that are hard about circumstances. But we look through scripture, we look through our, our lens of pain, our hurts, our wounds. And everybody's got wounds. Some of your wounds, I've, I, 
I know are deep and, and difficult wounds. And you've had to do a lot of overcoming. We're going to talk about that one in just a second. So that the eyes of your heart, it's like, it's not the eyes in your head, not knowledge here. Knowledge, knowing God is this intimate relationship with God. Eyes of your heart is looking through scripture, looking at scripture through the eyes of your heart, your emotion, your pain, your loss, your hurt. The second one. Third one is that you may know the hope in which he has called you. Now, this calling or purpose or redemption, you know, God has called us to, to, to great things. And his great things, according to his disciples, is to serve one another. It's like the, the grandest thing you can do. You want to be great in my kingdom? Be the servant of all. You want to be first? Be last. I mean, in other words, put, put your others before yourself. That's scripture. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. That's scriptural. It's hard to do those things. And yet when we go back and get on the track that God put us on, that redemption, if you will, put us back on track, that's when you discover your purpose. Why did God put you on this planet? I'm going to talk about that in just a second. And finally, make a difference. Inheritance in his holy people. God's inheritance, your and my inheritance, is our investment in people. Your inheritance, you think, well, it comes from your family and all that line, and it's like your inheritance. That's the earthly inheritance. Your inheritance in God's glory is people. Your investment in people. How you deal with other people and help them find freedom and help them find Christ and help them in their journey, serving one another, loving one another, all those one another passages. When you do that, that's, that's your inheritance. Paul makes this very clear when he was planting churches. He, he says, you are my inheritance. He wants that church to thrive and stay together and be, be one. Why? Because that's his inheritance. That's his investment. You guys matter. The people around us, the, the investment that we put into others and help them in their journey, that's investing in those people. And, they, and they, they get back on track. It's like, you've just done something. You've helped somebody overcome something in their life by being a sounding board or by being, a, being a, a, a wise counsel or something like that. You, that's an investment. You took time out of your busy day to stop everything and listen and invest your time in somebody. That matters. matters to God. That's your inheritance. We shouldn't be too stingy with our time, especially when it comes to helping others in their journey. Now, let's go through each one of these to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. So when, when Charles, uh, Chris Hodges made this, um, these four statements, this is the process that his church works through. And I saw these things. I thought, well, that's cool. When I saw that these also tied to those four cups of communion, I thought, oh my gosh, this is God's, this is God's plan, not man's plan. And I've never seen this in scripture like this, laid out like this before. And then to realize it's also in the New Testament because of no God. That's the first one. Uh, your eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That's fine freedom. That you might uh, understand the hope of your calling. That is discovering your purpose. And then you and your inheritance in God's holy people. That's making a difference with one another. And so he actually had this, and he, he, the way that he came up with these four is really interesting. He actually went to the to the street, if you will, and found some people off the street and said, would you be willing? And he paid them $100, I think, for their time. 
and said, I just want you to help me label this in street language. And so the, the street language version of the scriptural Old Testament, New Testament is found in this way. No God. You can get this, uh, uh, if you can get this slide up there, that, that no God slide. There you go. These, these four. No God. This is the process. No God. Find freedom. Discover purpose. Make a difference. I'm going to walk through each one of these just real quick. No God. This is where it starts off. This is that first cup to, to know God. Okay, this is the cup of that I will, I will bring you out. I will, um, I will have this relationship because knowing God isn't knowing about God. Knowing God is having a relationship with God. That's what gnosis means. It's a, in fact, let me read the, the definition. Gnosis is knowledge gained through firsthand relationship. This is not knowledge just read in a book about God. This is a knowledge on a firsthand relationship. Some of you might say, you know, you know, I know so-and-so. I know, you know, you might know them. You might know about them. You might know their stats. You might know their history. But do you really know that person? It's like, do you sit across, you know their, you know them, you know what makes them tick? When it talks about gnosis, it's a personal relationship. I know. It's the same kind of know that's in the Old Testament, that Adam knew Eve, and they had a son, that's, a, that's an intimate relationship. That's the picture. This is not talking about something sexual, but it's, it's talking about something very intimate, to know God. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 is one of those passages, this is that gut check, I think, for every one of us. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons and, and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Do you think it's important to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Yeah. I mean, he's like, yeah, but I knew all about you. I knew that you died on a cross. I knew you raised from the dead. I, you knew all these things. Did you know him? That's, that's what he's talking about. That's why we pound this table up here and pound the pulpit and say, make sure that you have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That you, that you know him, but make sure that he knows you. He looks down at his book and like, yeah, I don't see your name here. Ah, that's what he's saying here. That's why Paul said, test yourself. Make sure you're in the faith. Make sure that you, make sure my name's written in this book. God, I mean, there's times I've asked God for salvation two or three times in a month, you know, or two or three times in a week. Like, God, make sure, you know, right? Knowing God means to have a personal relationship with him. And when he brought them out, it's like, there's a, there's a, that's salvation. They got, and when we know God, that's salvation. That's how those two correlate. And the next one is interesting, finding freedom. Finding freedom is, um, is looking through the lens of our heart and to be able to see God's goodness, but also to see other people's pain and help them with God's goodness. This is an interesting observation. James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, I don't know if you observe this or not, but it's kind of an odd, there's something left out of this passage. 
I mean, in our common sense way, we think there's something out of this passage. If you confess your sins to God, then he will heal you. That's, that's the, what you thought would typically be said here. We're, we're to confess our sins to God for salvation. But we're to confess our sins to one another to find healing. Let me read this again. Listen, listen close. James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. I will tell you, I've experienced this my own life. I've experienced this in groups. I've seen it in individuals where people is able to get really real about their hurts, their habits, their hangups. And they're able to share that with you or with somebody. And there's something about sharing that that somehow neutralizes that, that power over you. Whenever you had this, I, I, last week I talked about anger, that anger issue of my life. When I started confessing that to one another, I had other people praying for me. I confessed it. I was like, I need you to be praying for me in this area. First of all, that's vulnerable, right? But when I, when I started doing that, what I noticed is it had, had no power over me. All of a sudden, things that used to just make me crazy didn't make me crazy anymore. It had no power over me. And, and I don't think I realized this passage, how powerful it was. But it's like what I, had, what I had done is I confessed this with somebody else. I had somebody else be praying for me. And I believe, now, does that mean I will never, ever fall? No. But I guarantee you God healed something in my life. And I've seen this pattern over and over again. Finding freedom. The way that we find freedom in here is, uh, is getting involved in some kind of group. We call it grow groups. It could be accountability groups. It could be a men's group, a women's group, whatever. But get into the place where you trust somebody enough with your stuff. They can, you can confess and pray with one another. And that's an intimate level. I get that. So the first one is this, know God. How do we know God? I, we're going to call that the church, the body. You bring people to this church, you're gonna, we're going to tell them about the things of God, that he loves us and hit, that you matter to God. To know God, to have a personal relationship with Him, that's church. That's Sunday morning. But finding freedom, you don't have time to find freedom in the lobby even. You find freedom in a grow group, okay? So know God, that's here. Finding freedom, that's in some kind of group, some kind of accountability. Third one is this, discover purpose. This is probably the one that's been the most fortified because I... We'd kind of done it for a while, and then it went away, and then Renee actually started doing this again, helping people find their purpose and find their spiritual giftedness, but we've really fortified this piece of it, and it's one of the reasons we're calling this fortified, because we're fortifying these next two steps. The next step is discover purpose. If you remember, this is the cup of redemption. This is putting them back on track. They, they, were, they were in Egypt, but God put them back in the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He put them back where they belonged. Listen, when, when you and I discover our purpose, here again is another quote. It's not mine. I wish it was. Gosh, I wish I could come up with this stuff. One of the greatest days, the first, the greatest day in your life is the day you were born. The second greatest day is to know why you were born. When you find out why God put you on this planet, and then you'd realize not only the why God put you on this planet, but realize that God put you on this planet to make a difference, and he only made one of you. With your background, your personality, with your gifting, he made one of you. And, and the body of Christ is, 
unless your piece of the puzzle is in there, it's not as good of a picture. It's like there's a piece of the puzzle missing. When everybody is doing their part and their piece of the puzzle and serving within their giftedness, within their purpose, not only does the picture look better, but people feel better because you can give. When you give and you're absolutely exhausted, but you did it and you're like, this is why God put me on the planet. That's the most fulfilling. I think, I think that's even in one of those psychological things. The most fulfilling thing you can do is to do something to, to, within your, your gifting and your purpose. And when you do that within the body of Christ, not only do you find that fulfillment, but you're also, you're serving in a way that God designed you. You're, you're not in Egypt anymore serving. You are serving in the land where God intended you to serve. We're fortifying that particular step and making sure that people understand their spiritual gifting, understanding their particular purpose, and helping you find that purpose within the body. Because when you do, there's a fulfillment factor. It's like, oh, this is why God put me on the planet. And it's easy. You're not having to do five things. You're doing the one thing. Maybe you're doing five things right now. Maybe not one of them or how you're gifted. That's part of finding your purpose. Part of making sure you're right in the right place in the right land. <clears throat> Even when they're in the land, he's, he divided them up in different uh, tribes, right? And he's like, this tribe is here and this tribe is here. He had some organizational structure and they all had different amounts of land and different kinds of land and different style, I mean, different places from Jerusalem. It was amazing. So to find your, the right land is one thing. To find your right purpose in that land is, I think it's an important part. It's a good picture that we need to strive for. Romans 12, 6 says this, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy it according to your faith. And it goes through all of them. Leadership, lead, and according to your faith. It goes all the way through. So we, But it's very clear that we are all given gifts. Listen, when you know God, you accepted Christ in your life, you know God. You are given a gift, a spiritual gift. Now, spiritual gifts are interesting to me because I think, I think people can have the gifts of leadership, for example, or hospitality, and not, not have life in Christ. But when you use that gift of leadership to to serve one another, or when you use that gift of hospitality to serve one another within the body of Christ, that's when I believe, personally, this is me trying to understand it, that's when I believe that's a spiritual gift. You've just done something. You've taken something that God's given you, a knack, a uniqueness, and you've applied it to the body of Christ, and that matters. It's fulfilling. But not only does it matter now, fulfillment-wise, but it matters throughout, you know, throughout eternity. Because you've, you've been the piece of the puzzle in this body. You've done something with a people. And that's the final one is make a difference. <clears throat> I will make you my own people. He didn't say one individual. He used individuals to lead people. But he did this because he wanted one people. He wanted one body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. We happen to be a local church, Cheyenne Hills Church in this corner of, the, of Laramie County. I get that. But we're a part of the body. We're a part of the bride. And each one of us is going to be, I think, accountable for how we, and myself especially, how we lead people in this. And so one of the things to fortify that I saw in this process is that we needed to fortify the last two especially. Helping people discover their purpose and why God put you on this planet at this such a time as this. And then finding a way 
for you to make a difference, whether it's inside of these church walls or outside of these church walls, whatever it may be, it's helping you find that purpose. And when you do that, that's where, when Jesus said to those two guys, you want to be great? Here's how you be great. I'm sure they got their pencils out, right? Or their tablets, probably. <laughs> you want to, want to be great? Oh, this is going to be good. I got to write this down. Be the servant of all. Really, that's it? You know, in my, in my humanness, I, I think this is probably what the guys did. Because they were always trying to determine who was the greatest among them, right? They probably said, oh, it's Peter. No, that's John. Or it's, you know, I don't know what they thought. But they were always squabbling, squabbling over who's the greatest. Now they just found out, hey, you want to be great? Be the servant of all. Just because I know humanity, I would imagine those guys are saying, well, you should have seen how I served today. Man, I was really sacrificial. I'm probably the greatest because I sacrificed more. I mean, that's just how humanity thinks. That was supposed to be funny, but it, if I don't want to laugh, that's fine. <laughs> don't have to laugh. I just think it's a humorous thing to think about. That, that You know, they probably went back and started thinking, okay, who sacrificed the most? Well, he's listening to what I sacrificed today. Well, but making a difference matters. That you're on this planet for a reason. Is you're going to hear or be hearing about this to know God. You need to help, help others know God. Invite them to church. Invite them to Christmas. Invite them. Start praying about someone you're going to bring to Christmas Eve. That's the two times people are going to come to church. It's Christmas Eve and Easter. Maybe Mother's Day. Maybe Fourth of July. That's kind of a big one. Mother's Day is a big one. Invite somebody. to Help them to give them an opportunity to know God. That's salvation. Now you can see this, this last slide is how we're going to end it. I don't know if you've seen this one yet. I don't know if they put this one up, but this is the Old Testament. Remember, they, I, will, I will call you out that salvation. That salvation in the New Testament is knowing God personally. That's, how the, that's the correlation, to know God. The second cup was in the Old Testament. It was deliverance. I will, first of all, I'm going to save you from Egypt, and then I'm going to get Egypt out of you, right? That's the deliverance part. That's finding freedom. That's getting in a group or across from somebody that you can share your heart with and say, this, this is kicking me right now. And I got to have someone to pray with me over this thing, this hurt, this habit, this hang up. That's finding freedom. When you get Egypt out of you, we all got Egypt in us. Redemption. This is, this is discovering your purpose. Redemption is like you were in Egypt and I want to get you in the promised land. You were in one place and I'm going to get you into another place. I'm going to put you in a place with a gifting and a purpose and you are the right piece of the puzzle for this particular body of Christ. It matters. You matter. That's what he's trying to say here. Discover your, pur discover your purpose. And then finally, do this as a team. Old Testament, I will make you a people. Making difference. We don't want to make a difference as individuals. We don't want to see a whole bunch of, you know, rock star staff people. That's not the, we want to do this as a team, as a body, as the bride. And then we all share in the fact that part of the body served in this way, another part of the body served in this way. Like tonight, you're going to, we're going to have a part of the body to, to lead us in prayer and lead us in worship. I hope you can bring your lawn chairs and you can be out, um, under the, under the, it won't be the stars, it won't be that dark. But hopefully be out in the amphitheater. But if it's not, we're going to go to the barn and we're going to praise and we're going to pray. And we're going to try to be a bright and shining light, as bright as we possibly can. 
Because as this world gets darker, we've got to burn brighter. I'm convinced of that. And we do that. I think we start that with prayer and praise. Would you pray with me? God, I do thank you. I thank you for, I don't know, just these processes. The, the idea that we can somehow help one another find freedom is amazing to me. That's an amazing insight. The fact that we can find our purpose and make a difference in this world, and you put us on this planet to do that, that's overwhelming. But God, as we, as we fortify some of our systems here, I pray that you'd give us grace. If you would help us to, you know, help us to be even more effective with the time we have, because the days are evil. I pray these things in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen, as you go across the street and around the world. Uh, let's see. Let's try, to, let's try to serve. Okay, let's see who's the best at serving. Who's the most sacrificial? <laughs> see you next week. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Make sure to check out our companion podcast where we dig deeper into an aspect of each week's sermon with questions and applications that are great for your Bible study or your grow group conversations. Like and subscribe to the channel as well so you don't miss any of our sermons or content. And if you're interested in our church, come check us out at CheyenneHills.org. And remember, be strong and very courageous.